I said earlier today, at the end of that video, I always feel like I need to do a back handspring or something. Just like, it's like I come out, it's like, well, it's Jim. <laughs> um, but we've been on a great journey uh, this past month and a half, walking through Proverbs, the 30 sayings of the wise, and we're finding ourselves coming to the end. Uh, today, we're looking at 29 and 30 of the 30 sayings, and actually, we'll spend today and next week because there's an additional uh, six sayings that we'll look at that uh, Solomon adds. But today we're going to find out very quickly uh, that wisdom moves us to do the hard things. And you're going to see today as Solomon wraps up these truths that he's pushing us, he's encouraging us to, to have the hard conversations, to say the hard things, because wisdom is willing to say, you know what, I love you enough to tell you the truth. And so you're going to find today that, that, that there's very challenging things that we need to do as followers to walk in wisdom, but we're going to see the benefits that come as a result of that. So grab your Bibles and turn to Proverbs chapter 24, Proverbs chapter 24, and we're going to read verses 19 to 27. And if you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Ushers will put one in your hand today. If you don't own one, uh, we encourage you to take it home. It's a gift from Grace Community Church. But turn to Proverbs chapter 24. We're going to read verses 19 through 27. I'll be reading from the NIV 2011 version. And I ask you to stand with me and we'll read it together out loud. Proverbs 24, and we're going to look at verses 19 to 27. Proverbs 24, verses 19 to 27. Let's read this together out loud. Ready, read. Do not fret because of evildoers or be envious of the wicked. For the evildoer has no future hope and the lamp of the wicked will be snuffed out. Fear the Lord and the King, my son, and do not join with rebellious officials for those who will send sudden destruction on them. And who knows what calamities they can bring. These are also the sayings of the wise. To show partiality in judging is not good. Whoever says to the guilty, you are innocent, will be cursed by peoples and denounced by nations. But it will go well with those who convict the guilty, and rich blessing will come on them. An honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. Put your outdoor work in order and get your fields ready. After that, build your house. You may have a seat. As you're taking a seat, let's look at the 29th saying. Look at verse 19 and 20. Again, it says, do not fret because of evildoers or be envious of the wicked. For the evildoer has no future hope, and the lamp of the wicked will be snuffed out. We're seeing again that Solomon brings up this whole envy thing. It's interesting as he decides in these 30 sayings to talk about it three times. And it's a reminder that we will deal with it. We will struggle with it until we reach our last day. It doesn't matter how old you are. You will always have the flesh screaming out. And you have to master the flesh. And you'll have times in your life, no matter what age it is, no matter what season of life, where you'll be tempted to envy. And so as we see this first or 29th saying... We can wrap this up by saying, I believe Solomon is saying, don't trade the ultimate for the immediate. We live in a world that says, hey, quick satisfaction, get the the, the drive-through version, go ahead and pursue this passions or lust or fleshly desires that you have. Go ahead and go after it. You need it now. But Solomon's going to show us that there are benefits, that it's ultimately wise for us to... to not trade the ultimate for the immediate. Yet we have drive through everything. We want everything now. Some of us, we lose our lids when we have to go through a drive through and it's more than 64 seconds. We can't believe that people have a, actually have a minute and 13 seconds in their life to go through a drive through and somehow we don't. 
we, we've, we have microwaved everything. We have fast-forwarded everything. We want the next and newest version of everything. And so that pushes on us, too. Because we want what's next. We want the best app. We want the best phone. We want the iPhone 6S now instead of the iPhone 6 Plus. We just have this continual desire. And Solomon says, be very careful that you don't envy what the wicked have. Because ultimately, all they have is something temporary. How often have you personally thought of envy in regards to someone? How often has this thought occurred to you when you've seen a friend, a relative, a neighbor, or a co-worker, or maybe a, even a sister or brother who doesn't know Christ, when they purchase the new whatever it is? And you're like, how come I'm still stuck with this version, God? How come they get that and they don't even know you? Well, maybe, quite frankly, you've lost sight that the best is yet to come. And then you've chosen to serve. You've chosen to give. You've chosen to tithe. You've chosen to invest in the future to come instead of the temporariness of earth. And so Solomon is saying, don't envy the wicked. Also, he encourages us, don't, be, don't, don't fret over the evildoers. Consider the source. Now, I like to do that. Like, we know that Peter tells us that all the writings of the Bible, all 66 books, every sentence, every chapter, has been carried, the writers have been carried along by the Holy Spirit. So as they wrote, the Spirit was speaking through them. And then we know from truth, from from God's Word, that God allowed the personality of the writer to surface He allowed the experiences of the writer, even in the Gospels, we'll see, they went to eyewitnesses and they recorded what they wrote. And so as you read this book, keep in mind, we have a man by the name of Solomon that's writing this. Solomon was a man, basically, that would be our Donald Trump, a saved version of Donald Trump. He has everything. He owns everything. He can purchase anything he wants. He had Hundreds of wives, he had hundreds of children. So as Solomon has speaking, he's telling, hey, I've had everything. I've owned everything. I've possessed everything. But here's what I found to be true. Don't be envious of the wicked. Don't fret over evildoers and wonder, God, how come you haven't placed your vengeance on them yet? Because, listen, Solomon was a human being. And I'm sure a lot of these experience, he experienced because he walked through them and made poor choices. And he's saying, it's not worth it to envy the wicked. Because keep in mind, Christ followers, listen, that this thing we call earth is only temporary. We are just citizens of heaven and not citizens of earth. Our home is in heaven. This is a temporary dwelling for us. And so he says, hey, This is what I know from experience. This is what I've observed. I've seen the wicked. And I've made some choices too. He is literally saying, do not fret. God's vengeance will come through. It's worth holding on to the ultimate treasure in Christ and Christ alone. You see, here's what I know. And you know this too. The moment we realize that our home on earth is temporary is the moment that we truly begin to live. You see, when you say, This is temporary. This house that I decorate, this 
car that I drive, this garage that I have, this vehicle, these possessions that I have, they're only temporary. The moment we realize that this is only temporary and that the best is yet to come. And Jesus said that he's preparing a place for us and that we will be rewarded for the way we've lived on earth in heaven. It's a game changer. We don't hold on to this stuff. We don't hold on tightly anymore because this is only temporary. This is just a short period of time. But we will live forever with Christ in eternity. And Solomon is saying, listen, hold on, Christ followers. Even though it looks like they're getting the best of both worlds. Even though it looks like God hasn't, his vengeance hasn't come. There will be a time when they will be snuffed out. And we know what that means. That means there will be a day when those who don't know Christ will end up in hell. And that should drive us to let loose of this temporary stuff and to tell the world that the best in Christ is what you need and not this. Our citizenship is in heaven from which we eagerly await for a savior. Envy comes in many forms too. We just think sometimes it's possessions, but sometimes it comes in lust for new jobs. We want that position. We want what she has. We want that leadership role. We want that notoriety. We want that power. We want that influence. And if we're not careful, those very things can become lust of the flesh. That somehow we'll feel better about ourselves if we can have those things. So sometimes what could start out as a noble desire can end up as a lustly desire because we feel like we can do it better. We can do it. So we must pull away and say, God, what is it that you want for me? Or the very thing as a a leadership role, a responsibility or notoriety can often become a fleshly desire. As enticing as, as it might look, true satisfaction and hope can only be found in Jesus Christ. That's it. I mean, and, and, and I'm learning that. And as I age, I'm learning that more and more and more. And as my time gets closer, I'm learning. Like, the greatest satisfaction that I have is in Christ and Christ alone. I don't need anything else. I'm reminded of the conversations, you know, even with my mother. I, last week, I went and just drove to Maryland and spent two days with her and my stepfather. Just wanted to honor my mother and my father. And I sat and listened to my mom, who has the early stages of Alzheimer's. She won't admit that, and she's fighting that. But as I sat with her, and, and she told me the same story a hundred times, over and over and over again. It was so good to sit with my mom. And, then, and, 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 and here's why I say it's so good. Because the things in her life that were valuable to her, those often surface. The things that, that they, they did their whole life, you'll find as you walk with people who, who walk through Alzheimer's, the things that they enjoyed, the long-term memory stuff continues to surface. And time and time and time and time and time and time again, my mom repeated, I love you guys. I love you, Jimmy. I love our kids. I, 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 I love my family. I love my mother. I love my father. I miss my mother. I miss my father. Oh, Jimmy, I want you to know that I pray for you. Oh, Jimmy, I pray for you. 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 You see, it's those are the things that are more important than the possessions that we have on earth because ultimately the best is yet to come. And so Solomon is saying, don't envy. Don't fret over the evildoers. Their day is coming, but trust in Christ because your future is secure in Christ. You see, when you know who you are in Christ, you have no room for envy or jealousy because you are overflowing with hope. Like, 
when you know who you are in Christ, when your security is in Christ, like when I know who I'm in Jesus, when I'm walking in the Spirit, when, when I'm filled with the Spirit, when, when I'm in tune with the Spirit, when I haven't quenched the Spirit, when I haven't grieved the Spirit, when all those cylinders are firing, I am overflowing with the hope of Christ. I don't need anything else, nor do you. There is no room for envy. So when I know that I'm beginning to be envious, I know something. Jim, you need to pull away. Jim, you need to remind yourself of what you have in Christ. The second we walk away from being in tune with the Spirit is the moment where the fruit of the Spirit leaves and envy wants to find its home. There should be no vacancy in our heart for anything but Jesus Christ. And that's what Solomon is saying. So is there? I mean, do you find more joy in purchasing something? Owning something? Do you find yourself craving, I can't wait, I can't wait to Black Friday so I can get that? Let me tell you, there's nothing wrong with possessions. By God's grace, he gives us plenty. I mean, he just endows us and gives us a chance to own stuff. But if they become your gods and your idols and your cravings, Solomon's saying, listen, the best is yet to come. There is a future hope in Christ, and that will never change. Let me just speak to teens that are in this venue and across the internet and and sending the link. You know, as I age and as we age as adults, Cravings continue. It, it, they're just different. And there was a time as we walked through our teenage years where, where we, we lusted after and desired what you wanted. And even as we continue to age, it's changes. Like now, I, I have to be careful. I think, I think about retirement. Do I got enough? Do I, do, I, do I need this? Do I need that? It's like, oh, they got that. And, and if I'm not careful, when I was 15, I didn't even know what an IRA was. I didn't know what a retirement fund was. So you got to be careful. So back to teens, listen, that in-group that you want to be part of, like that, that, that table at lunchtime, like I want to sit at that table and you want to get your tray and just sit there because those are the people. That, that in-group or that sports team or, or that, 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 that those, you want to be invited to that party. Like you want to be in that in-group, that craving that you have. Let me tell you, you are already in the in-group in Christ. And that is enough in Christ. Solomon says, you need nothing else. Absolutely nothing else. Because, listen, even though it might look good, there will come a day, if they don't trust Christ, their life will be snuffed out. But you have eternity and a hope secure forever. That is much more valuable, Solomon is saying to us today. See, what you see isn't always what you think it might be when you see your friends. The satisfaction of now will never be better than the satisfaction of later when we get to see our God and stand before him and we will realize for the very first time how much he loves us. It's worth being faithful. It's worth serving God. It's worth making sure the decisions you make line up with his will. So what are some ways to combat envy? Like, okay, okay, Jim, you're saying we shouldn't be envious. And you heard me say in one of the messages that praise kills envy. But what are some other practical ways to combat envy? These are just things that I found personally. Like, you can take them and you can adjust them or you can just toss them out. And you can ask the Holy Spirit to show you and he will. But these are just things that I found through the years that combat envy in my life. I would say this. 
Spend time in a third world. Like, I mean that with all my heart. If you've never been to a third world, then you get a passport and you sign up now. You should be on mission in another world. You should take your kids on mission in another world. Fathers, you should take your sons and daughters overseas to a third world. You should own a passport. If you are a Christ follower and you don't have a passport, then you're not ready and prepared to give an answer to anyone to ask. You see, we must be ready until you walk to a third world and you see how much joy they have in nothing then you truly never know what you have in Christ. You know, I can recall one of my first trips overseas 15 or 20 years ago. I don't, it, it, time runs away. But I remember I, I went over and I got to see these, these, these kids in Cambodia. And, and, and so I decided that I would take bubble gum with me and hard candy to pass out to the kids. Little did I know what I, would have about, what I was about to see. And so we're walking through the streets and we're handing out candy. They're handing out candy. And so I handed out bubble gum. You know, I watch my kids and other kids and they chew bubble gum. And I remember opening up the bag and these kids come running and they're so excited because they get a piece of bubble gum. And so I handed it to a child. And I remember this kid, he was chewing on this gum. He was chewing and chewing and chewing. He was trying as hard as he can to make it dissolve. And finally he's... He had never seen bubble gum before. He thought like every other thing you eat, you chew it and then you, you swallow it. And I'm like, and he didn't know what I meant. And I I showed him the gum. I said, then I watched another kid beside him. He's chewing and he's chewing and he's trying to, he can't figure out why this candy, why this food isn't getting smaller, why it's not getting something he can swallow. And before I got through that day, I realized they had never, ever had bubble gum. And I realized this is an incredible moment, Jim. You have an incredible moment. You can show these kids something. So I began to show them. And so I huddled them around. I said, come here. Give them all bubble gum. And I start chewing. Then I start blowing bubble. You should have seen their eyes when they saw this. Like, wow, food can do that. And their eyes are getting big. And then you saw them. And I was trying to tell and they're blowing and they're trying to get a bubble and their tongue's coming through the gum and miserable fails, miserable fails. And finally, there was one kid there. There's always one, isn't there? He was chewing, he was watching. And he got a hold of that gum and he went. And this bubble came out and his eyes lit up and his friends were like, In that moment, I realized that that $2,500 investment was worth it. Because that boy did more for me than I could ever do for him. I tell you another little sidebar there. They don't do what we do with gum. They chew that stuff for eight, nine hours. They didn't realize when it loses its flavor, you spit it out. They blew bubbles for hours and hours and hours. We went, went back to the place. They stuck it on the table and came back to it later. <laughs> Go to the third world. What's been your excuse? Oh, I'm afraid. I'm scared to fly. What kind of excuse is that? When missions trips come up at Grace Community, do you just kind of dismiss them? I can't go there. I got to work. I can never get off. I got this and I got that. 
Do you say no before you even ask the Spirit of God whether or not you should go? Have you said the Spirit's no when he's been saying yes? Go to the third world. You want to combat envy? Be thankful daily. One of the things I do, I read the Word of God each day, but one of the things I do, I often get up in the morning and I'll go like this. I get out of bed and I go, I say, thank you, Lord, for letting me breathe. I walk out in the kitchen and maybe I get some coffee going and I, I get some water and I say, Lord, thank you for the co- thank you for the water. I open the cupboard and there's cupboards and I say, thank you for the cupboards. I walk to the refrigerator and I get out creamer. Thank you for the creamer. Thank you for the refrigerator. Thank you. And I think about the heat and the, the air conditioning. Thank you for the air conditioning. Thank, thank, thank you for this house. Thank you. Thank you for this cup. Thank you for this food. Thank you for this oatmeal. It's good and it's good for me. Thank you. Just have the spirit of thanks because if you open your day and you begin to just thank God for everything, there's no room for envy because you have everything. Serve someone who's unable to return the favor. You want to combat envy? Don't just serve someone so you can get something from them, but serve them because they can't give it back to you. You want to find joy? Blessed is the man who gives It's better than him to give than it is to receive. You want to combat envy? Just serve. Just give. Just do something for someone they can't even have a chance in the world to pay you back. Journal answered prayer. See, we go right to our request. We have a request and we have all these requests and we pray through them every day. Lord, I pray you'll do this. Lord, I pray you do that. God, we need breakthrough here. Thank you, God. And we need to, we need to have a page in a, a regular time that says, Lord, you answered. God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. When you begin to see and connect the dots that God is hearing, that God is listening, that God is acting, it changes the way you view what you have. You want to do something else that will combat envy? Hug an orphan. Hug an orphan. How many of you have ever hugged an orphan? How many of you have ever grabbed a hold of a kid that doesn't have a mother or father? How many of you have ever walked up to this orphan that just, like, you're there, and you put your arms around them, and they squeeze you tight? And then they say something like this, Daddy, Mommy, you haven't lived until you've hugged an orphan. You want to combat envy? Sign up for one of our Asia's Hope trips. You want to see your world radically change? Go hug an orphan. Feed the homeless. You want to combat envy? Just just feed the homeless. Just don't figure out if they need it or if they don't need it or all the poor choices that they made. And and it's it's their responsibility. And they wouldn't be in that situation if they didn't do this. this. Just just feed them and, and say, have a great day. You want to combat envy? Go feed the homeless. You want to combat envy? Sit with a widow or widower and just listen. Just, just listen. Just, just listen because... And bring up the name of, of their husband or wife that passed. Just say, hey, I'd like to hear about Ben. <laughs> Can you tell me the story about Ben Reshley? Just, they, they, they want to talk about him. But they're not going to bring it up. Just listen to a widow or a widow. Just schedule a time just to sit down and say, hey, I miss him. Just tell me. Tell me a story. And all of a sudden you leave and close the door and go out to your car and you drive home and you open the door of your house and there's your wife. There's your husband. 
And you just hold on. You want to combat envy? Walk in another man's shoes before you in envious position. Oh, I'd like to have that job. I wish I had that role. I wish I was that coach. I wish I was that teacher. I wish I was that councilman or councilwoman. I wish I was that pilot. I wish I was that mechanic. I wish I owned that business. You see, we can lust after positions with not realizing that it's a lustful position and not a healthy position. Walk in their shoes first and then appreciate what they, they're doing and then make the step. Ultimately, don't trade the ultimate for the immediate. Solomon says. Look at the next one. Look at 30th saying here. He says this, verse 21 and 22. Fear the Lord and the King, my son, and do not join with rebellious officials, for those two will send sudden destruction on them, and who knows what calamities they can bring. Fear God, respect your leaders. He's telling us, hey, make sure you know who you hang out with. Don't run with the rebellious because the king or God will ultimately bring destruction. And it could happen at any time. So make sure that you choose your friends wisely. Don't choose your friends based upon you want what they have. You think they have it better. Keep your eyes on the prize in heaven instead of what's earthly. Because there will come a day where the wicked, the calamity will come upon them. And if you walk with them, if you run with them, if you spend time with them, and you invest in them in the wrong way purposes, your calamity will fall on you too. Fear God, respect your leaders, Solomon is saying. You see, there's great danger in following and joining the rebellious. Without warning, your life can turn upside down. You become a walking time bomb that could explode at any minute. I love one version that says this in regards to rebellious officials. says, don't be defiant or mutinous. Don't refuse to obey the orders of a person in authority. Don't have willful rebellion. So how can we gain respect as a leader? We're going to look at both sides. How you respect and how you can gain respect. If you want respect, fear God and respect your leaders. How can you get in a position so that people will respect you? What is our responsibility as leaders? What are the things that we can do or should be doing or can do to gain the respect of people? These are just some things I've written down from things that I've learned along the way from greater leaders than me. Deflect praise about yourself and recognize others. Always be sure. Always be sure to thank your team. Always be sure to let them know that you could not do it without them. Always be sure to tell them. Always be sure to send them a note of saying, thanks, thank you, thank you. And let them know. Praise God for them. Always be sure when you have a chance to say, hey, our team is great. We could never do this without them. Lift up those around you and deflect praise about yourself. God will ultimately reward you if you're doing what he wants you to do. Another way to gain respect as a leader, set the bar for... For the whole work ethic. Do things that you want to, your group to do, your team to do. Do it first. Be the first one in. Before I became a pastor, I worked in construction. Had a great group of men that taught me. I, I was a, 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 had an apprenticeship, a really, really good one with a, a company in Hagerstown. And I became a carpenter out of that. And by God's grace, I became a foreman and led. And by God's grace out of that, I became self-employed as a carpenter before I became a pastor. 
And so literally as I got through grad school, Ann and I got through grad school and seminary, I, myself and another guy, we built homes. We built spec homes in Warsaw, and they're still there. You go back, they're still standing. Imagine that. <laughs> but there's some things I learned along the way. Like there are some jobs in construction. There's some jobs that you have that, you know what? You're glad that you don't have to do them anymore. It's like, well, let the new guy, let the rookie do it. But let me tell you, you want to gain respect of the rookie? You want to gain respect? Go do those jobs that even the rookies don't want to do. And don't pass away and say, well, I've earned my stripes. I don't have to do those anymore. You want to gain the respect? Go back and do those jobs, those mindless, difficult, sweaty jobs that you are so glad you're down here with. Go back and do them again and show them that you are willing to do what even what they aren't willing to do. You'll gain respect. There's many of them in construction. One of the primary ones is insulation. Every time you get to the house stage of insulation, no one wants to insulate. And one of the primary ones is trying to insulate the crawl space of a home that you're building in the summertime when it's 953 degrees outside. <laughs> like, it's so easy to say, hey, let's get the rookie. I've earned my stripes. I'm an advanced carpenter. I own the company. Know what you do? You get yourself a button-up shirt. You button it tight, clean up to the top. You take a piece of duct tape and you wrap around the top of your collar. You put on goggles and you put on a mask and you crawl into that crawl space and you take that pink panther and you stick it up inside and you come out of there sweaty and itchy and you show them that you are willing to do what most people aren't willing to do. You see, somehow we think because we arrived that we no longer need to lead and find ways to gain respect. Pull the best out of people. Don't expect less than that. Like, don't let them. Like, tell them, I expect more from you. You got more. I know you do. I've seen it. I've witnessed it. I'm not going to let you settle with that job. Too much is at stake. You can work as though you're working for the Lord. Pull it out of them. That's what a great leader does. I'll never forget the conversation I had. I had a man do that to me when I was just 21 years old. I was working at the post office, had a career job, and that was the journey I was going to be on. I was going to be a mailman, and I was going to retire from there in 20 years. I had a great opportunity to serve God there. And yet because of that, I was in, obviously I was out of high school, and there was this in-between time, and, and, and we saw this yearning that there wasn't anything out there for, for college and career people, and some of you know the story. So we started a college and career Bible study. And we said, hey, there's a need. And so myself and another guy and a pastor at the church, we said, hey, let's have this thing called College and Career Fellowship. Let's invite all the single people to come to. And so the first meeting was at my parents' house. We met outside and we had a Bible study. 30, 40 people showed up and this thing grew to 300 single people. Like in a year, grew just hundreds and hundreds just kept coming, coming. And one man pulled something out of me that changed the trajectory of my life completely changed the whole direction of my life. He was a college student at Grace College time. And now he's a missionary in Togo. I just love him. His name's Pete Bittner. And he was home from college and he was, he said, Jim, I want to ha- I want to have, I want to, I want to meet with you at Pizza Hut. So we went to Pizza Hut and, and he gave me five to 10 minutes of Pizza Hut. And those five to 10 minutes of my life are the very five to 10 minutes that changed the whole direction of my life. He looked at me. He said, Jim, I just want to let you know 
He said, I think you ought to go to college. I said, Pete, I got a job. I'm working at the post office. I mean, I, I scored uh, 4,000 people took this exam. I was top three out of 4,000 people. That's a sign from God, isn't it? He wants me here. He said, no, no, no. He said, Jim, I think you ought to go to college. I said, flesh that out, Pete. I said, what, what's that mean? He says, here's why. He says, I think there's something in you that you don't know that's there. He said, when you talk, people listen. I think you ought to pursue ministry. So I ate my pizza and, you know, just kind of, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah and just, thank you. Let's pray. Hallelujah. And I remember going home. I couldn't sleep that night. I was up all night like this. <laughs> just sweating. Just like the Spirit of God had me up. Thinking about this conversation from this friend of mine. that said, Jim, there's more in you. There, there's something in you that you don't know. And because of that conversation, 10, 15 minutes I resigned from my job at the post office and headed off to college. Why? Because someone pulled something out of me that I didn't know was in me. It has changed the whole direction of my life. But that's what leaders do. They see something in someone and they say, I'm not going to let you settle. There's more in you. God's made you for more. Love your employees. Let them know you got their backs. Be the person that brings light to that community that you're in. Don't be the grump in the, in the workplace. Never speak disparagingly about each other. If you're in conversation with someone else and they begin to surface that person's name and they begin to say something about them, call them out. No, I'm not going there. Believe the best and don't allow your assumptions about someone's situation to be totally true until you get all the information. Talk about solutions instead of problems. You want to gain respect as a leader? Don't be the leader that's always pointing out the problem. Listen, that's not a leader. That's called a critic. Well, I can't believe they did this way. I can't believe that's wrong. Can't believe that. Can't believe. Do you see that? Do you see that? No. If you want to lead, come up with solutions or don't speak at all. Leaders have solutions. They don't talk about problems. Be filled with Jesus Christ. Saturate yourself in his word. Be a prayer warrior. Be so filled with the spirit when someone bumps into you, they just go, whoo! I heard a person say it this way, be so filled with the spirit that when a, a mosquito bites you, it flies away. It is well with my soul. You want to gain respect as a leader? Do things that gain the respect. You see, when we choose not to respect the leader or the Lord, the consequences are not pretty. It shows us here. You'll be snuffed out. You'll, there'll be these calamities that take place. How can you, we respect the leader? Let's turn that around. How can you and I respect leaders? We support them. We don't talk disparaging about it. We support them. We hold their arms up. We become the Aaron and Hur of Moses. We do whatever we can to lift them up. We follow them. Listen to me. You can't be a leader if you don't know how to follow. Your best leaders are your best followers. You put people in a setting, there's all kinds. You can be in all kinds of settings, and there are tons of leaders there. But if you're not the leader of the group, then be the best follower that that leader has ever seen. If they say, we need someone to pray, I'll do it. We need someone to go get food. I'll do it. We need someone to go there. I'll do it. Don't wait. 
Follow, 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 follow. Be a good follower instead of a critic. Speak well of them or don't speak at all. Be honest with them. In the good times and the hard times. Give your very best at all times. Even on Friday at three o'clock when you know you're punching out at four. Pray for them. Best thing you could ever do for your leader is to pray for them. Encourage them. Don't assume, don't assume that they don't need encouragement. Because the word of God says, encourage one another daily. There is not, there has never been a time in my life, never been a time in my life, nor your life, where I walked away from a word of encouragement and said, why do they keep doing that? Seek the best interests of the team and not your own. Sometimes you make decisions that are best for the team and not necessarily for you alone. Read on. Look at the next sayings that we have. We have some extra sayings we're going to look at this week and next. Look look at verse 23. These are the sayings of the wise. To show partiality and judging is not good. Whoever says to the guilty, you're innocent, will be cursed by peoples and denounced by nations. But it will go well with those who convict the guilty. And rich blessing will come on them. An honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. Wisdom calls us to honor others with honesty. The greatest gift that you can give someone is to not treat anyone with partiality. No favoritism. Treat everyone the same like Jesus did. It is very wrong to go along with injustice. Whatever, whoever whitewashes the wicked gets a black mark in history books. If you know someone's guilty, if you're in a judicial setting as a mother or father, or even as a judge or a detective or in the workplace or at home, no matter where it's at, if that person is guilty, don't show favoritism to them and do it and show partiality that you wouldn't show the same to someone else because you don't like them. They come from a bad family and you carrying all what you know. It says, if you show partiality, then you are guilty. Let God bring ultimate judgment. It's your responsibility to be truthful and to treat them the same as you would at someone that wasn't guilty. God doesn't show favoritism, but he gives favor. James chapter two is a reminder. Someone comes walking into your church and they dress differently than you and you see them and you're about ready to sit down and you look across there and there is someone and they're sitting there with, the, with a goat. I guess they like goats. Go sit down beside them. Don't say, whoa, that's weird. Like, they, they, they dress differently than me. They, they smell differently than me. They look differently than me. They, 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 they come from a, no. The, the word of God says, don't sit here because someone's like you that you like. It says, don't make a decision based upon appearance. Just love them like you would love them. What are the ways that we show favoritism? You know, it happens real subtle for us and and, and we show partiality. How do we do it? We choose one over the other because they can do something for us. Here's how it goes. It's sometimes real subtle. Like, I like to get to know them. Why do you want to get to know them? Man, they're a good mechanic. My car just sucks. So, you know, so let's have them over. Hey, what do you think, honey? Let's have that couple over for supper sometime, okay? Then I can ask him about, you know, the brakes. And so you come over and you feed them and you're thinking, I can't wait to talk about the brakes. And halfway through the conversation, so I hear you're a mechanic. Hey, have you ever looked at brakes? Don't ever do that. Don't choose someone to be a friend 
because they can do something for you. Think about it. Just think about it. What could anybody at all, what could they have ever done for Jesus that he couldn't have done for himself? He wouldn't have had a friend in the world if he had operated that way. But he was the friend of sinners. What are some other ways that you show partiality or I show partiality? We want to be liked by someone, so we go the extra mile for them. And we wouldn't do it for someone else. And sometimes we'll go the extra mile for someone that isn't even a family member. We are more patient with some than we are our very own loved ones. Because there's this something that we want from them. That's partiality. We make time at the same time we told others we couldn't. Someone says, hey, I'd really like to know if I could get on your schedule and meet at this time. That Can you check your schedule? So you look at your schedule and say, I'm busy. And then, so you say, no, it doesn't work. And then someone else says, hey, can we meet this time? Sure, where do you want to meet? We go out of our way to acknowledge one and not the other. Because we want to win something from them. Don't show partiality, Solomon says. Then he says this, that when you see someone that's guilty, when they're doing something that's wrong, don't just push them away. Make sure you speak truth in their life. Make sure if they're guilty, you are willing to have the hard conversation with them. Make sure that you, if you see them doing something wrong, that you just don't turn your back to it. Willful ignorance is sin. So how often do we find ourselves in situations where friends and acquaintances speak in a justifying way about their bad behavior. And they're just waiting for you to agree with them. But you think, ah, oh, I don't want to go there. Word of God says, hey, 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 make sure you speak truth to the guilty. Make sure you treat them the same as you would anyone else. People will often throw little rotten pieces of information to you to see how you will react. And they do by saying, they're wanting you to side with them. So you have a choice to make. Will I say, that's wrong? Will I say, hey, that's sinful? Or I'll just let it go and hope they quit talking about it. When it is wrong, you must call them out in truth and grace. Otherwise, you and I become implicit in their sin. So here's how it happens. Just, just here's some examples. You know someone says, hey, hey, I just fudged a little on my taxes. You know how I did it? I did some labor on the side, but I didn't, I didn't, I didn't write down the labor money that I earned because it was cash. You know, cash isn't a check technically. And because it's not technical income, it is, by the way, I didn't report it on my income tax because if I would have, then, you know, I wouldn't have, that had been 40% off of that. That's when you need to look at that person and say, I love you too much and you need to report that. If you want me to be your friend, I will speak truth to you because you are acting in a sinful way. That's what friends do. Or they curse at their, a coworker, or they take supplies from work. It's just that pal, you know, they, you know, it didn't pass inspection. So, I mean, they didn't use it there. I didn't ask for it, but I brought it home. And that's how I made that table. Isn't that table nice? Look, it's oak. It's just a piece of the time. If they're guilty, you need to speak truth to them. It happens in all kinds of ways. Let me give you one example in, in, where Ann and I were traveling one time and we had friends with us. Uh, it doesn't matter who they were and we were tra traveling along and it was a long travel. I mean, we had our kids, our kids were small and we're driving, we're driving home and we were in a van and we had been in the van for a very long time with our kids and our kids were tired. And they were very tired. And if you've ever been with tired kids, they want to sleep. 
you know? And so, I mean, and if, and if you continue to press that, you know, it's, it's not going to end up good. Just, it just isn't. And so we're driving, and so we stopped, and we realized we need to find a place to sleep tonight. But we, 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 the, the groups that we're with, we barely had money. I mean, it just being quite frank, we, we stretch ourselves to do what we just did. And we're driving along, and we come to this hotel, and one of the person in the group of, of many said this, you know, here's what we'll do. Since we all don't have much money and we need to sleep, I'll go up, and I'll check in as the adult. And then if they ask we have kids, I'll say, yeah, we got kids. But what? I'll pay for one room, then we'll split it up amongst all of us, and then we can bring the kids in, and there's plenty of room. We can sleep on the floor. At least we have an air-conditioned place, and then some of the adults can sleep on the bed, and we'll just divide it all up, and it'll be much cheaper for us. The Spirit of God was going... No, 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 no. No, 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 no. I looked at my wife, and she was feeling the same, and I brought her over, and basically we looked at each other and said... I know what we should do, but my wallet is saying, we should do that. The flesh was crying out. So you know what we did? We looked at this group and we said these words. Ann and I, we're going to get our own room because we believe that's what God would want us to do. You can do what you want, but I want to let you know that this is what we believe God would have us do. Integrity. Be willing to speak truth. Because if you do what the guilty do and you don't handle them the same because you're shown partiality because you like them, then you are implicit in their sin. You see, the respect that leadership must have requires that one's ethics be without question. A leader not only stays above the line between right and wrong, he stays well clear of the gray areas. Just tell the truth, even... If they might not ever like you again. In fact, it says, tell the truth in all situations. Look what he says. I love this phrase here, and it's a beautiful picture. Look how he talks about truth. Look at verse 26. An honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. Like, I feel like everybody, everybody practice. Go ahead, let's practice that. Tell the truth and give a kiss. What does that mean? Like, have you ever looked at that proverb and thought, okay, like, I kind of understand. What does that mean? Well, let me explain. Let me back up. When my wife and I were dating, we, we, we got to know each other. We had friends. We were in college. And, and so we hung out with friends. We kind of did things together as friends. And I began to realize that I, I really like her. Like, man, she's, she's awesome. And so I began, we began courting. And, and, then, and then at some point along that path, after getting to know friends and, and getting to know each other for who we were without the dating pressure, we began to date and at some point in this dating process, I began to think about, why would I like to kiss her? Like, have you ever thought about that in your wife? Like, and hopefully she thought about me in the same way. So I'm thinking about this. What would this first kiss be like? So, you know, I start thinking about it. Like, like what's it going to be like when I kiss Anne for the first time? And so I would think about it, you know, I, I smile, go my face. You know, just, so I began to plot and plan. Like, how can I, what would be the best case scenario? Because, because, I realized that we were dating, courting, but I was really beginning to fall in love with her. And that I realized that it was going to be way more than just dating, that there was an interest for marriage. And, and so I began thinking about this moment of, of, of kissing her. And I, I remember planning it, and I, I was nervous. Like, I had butterflies. Like, the first kiss, I was scared to death. Seriously, I was. Like, how would she respond? Like, would I blow it? Like, will I be able to go in and, and do this 
with her, like when I went left, would she go right? So I began to think, you know, just man, nervous, like I was pacing and and so the scenario came and it's like, it's, it's about time for it to happen. And, 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 you know, I'm just hoping and I was, I was getting sweaty. My palms were getting wet. And I was like, <laughs> it's like the first kiss. Like, and it was hard. It was difficult because I'd never done it. Would she reject me? And so I did what most people do. I took 10 packs of mints all day long. I scrubbed my tongue. <laughs> I swallowed mouth. <laughs> I didn't eat garlic that day. Don't do that, by the way. Garlic gives hor- horrible breath. My wife knows that, by the way. Anyhow, don't ever go out for pizza and then try to kiss your bride. Anyhow, we're just, so I'm coming to this point, and I realized, like, oh, I'm just going for it. Like, it was right. It was the right time. It was like, I'm going for it. You know, it's almost like I wanted to close my eyes and just... And so I went for it, and it's like... And she went the same way, and it was awesome. <laughs> it was awesome. And if I could have been moving on the outside like I was moving on the inside, I would have been a lunatic. <laughs> now, let me, let me fast forward. That was the first time. I, I shed all the nervousness and all the butterflies and all the thoughts of how she might respond to it. And, and so, since that point, we've been kissing a long time. You know what? It's gotten a lot better. The mechanics were way off the first time. It was awkward. I took a risk by, because I loved her. And we've been doing it for a long, long, long time. And you know what? We're really good at it now. And now we just go to each other. And Solomon is saying, speak truth, even if it's like the first kiss and you're scared to death and you don't know how they'll respond to it. But listen, after you continue doing it over and over and you have this pattern of speaking truth and I do with my wife, it just gets better and better and better and better and better. An honest answer, it's like a kiss on the lips. Look at the next closing saying. Look what it says in 27. It says, put your outdoor work in order and get your fields ready. After that, build your house. This word build a house in the original in the Hebrew takes on the concept of of a home. Like, like get things in order before you build your home. And I would say it this way. Here's how I would say, dudes, let me me single dudes, let me say this to you. Get a life before you get a wife. Like, get a job. Before you say, I want to marry you, before you step into marriage, make sure that your life is in order, your spiritual life is in order. Make sure your physical life is in order. Make sure your finances are in order. Make sure that you can protect, that you can guard. Now, I'm not taking you need a whole bunch of stuff. I'm just saying, be in a position that it won't be a detriment that in your marriage, make sure you get a life take care of the fields and have income and you have something going on before you ever step in to life with someone else. Work hard and set your family up to win before you plunge into marriage. Proverbs 21.5 says, the plan of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. Income production comes before spending. Become good at your trade or business. Before committing to the house. I'm not saying that you need to have thousands and thousands of dollars. I'm just saying, set yourself up to win. That you can provide, that you can care for her. 
single guys, get rid of your debt as best as you can. Make sure you are ready to protect, to lead, to love, and provide. Lust and envy drives the kind of behavior that says, I need another car, I need another house. And, and so Solomon says, not only for husbands, but how about you? Do you say, I need more, I want more, I want this, I want that. And we live in a world that says, hey, we need more. And so what happens is we let lust and envy drive us. And before we know it, we're in debt over our heads. We can't take of our families and take care of our homes. And Solomon says, make sure you plow the field. Make sure you work hard before you purchase, before you buy. And and and. Keep in mind, we don't need something new all the time, but the world is telling us, you need the newest, you need the newest phone, you need the newest car, you need the newest house. And I have, I have an issue with that. Like, if you're getting married, listen, it's okay to drive. Whatever happened to 1984 Granadas? What's so wrong with them? Seriously. Well, it's not new. I don't look cool. Drive a beater if you have to. If you got the woman of your dreams and she loves Jesus Christ, she will love being in that beater with you. And if she doesn't, you don't want her. You see, I, 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 I like the old versions. And for me, it's like, 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 seriously, if we applied that to people, like, I'm a 1962 version. What's wrong with that? And, and, and let me tell you something. In 1965, March 12th, 1965, off the assembly lines of Ephrata in Pennsylvania came this incredible woman named Ann Bortner Brown. And I like the 1965 version. I don't need a new one. But lust, envy, wanting someone else, is Satan coming after us. You see, you want true love? You want to get married and have true love? All you need is Jesus Christ in your Bible and you need each other. And guess what? If you have patterns of good work ethics and discipline in your life, that's all you need. Even if you never own a home and you never own a new car, if you've got each other, that is more than enough. I believe that because we got a 1962 version and a 1965 version. You know what? We're pretty good together. Good financial discipline leverages our ability to help the kingdom of God. So why should we plow the fields? Why should we take care of the land before, before we, we buy the house? Because it ultimately gives us a chance. It leverages us to do work for God. If we're paying for all the stuff that's temporary on earth, Solomon's saying, you're wasting your time because ultimately everything you do here impacts there. If you can't serve and help someone because you're in debt up to your ears because of poor choices, then you have wasted your time. You have not been a good steward of the time that God has given you. So how do you do that? What are some wise things to do? You tithe. Do you hear me? You tithe. You give money to God before you buy a new car. You buy used instead of new. You shop resale stores. By the way, there's some great stuff at Goodwill. You spend less than you make. You give more than you get. You save for troubles that will come in the future. You don't find your security in money. You keep in mind that there's more life to live after death. So live your life getting ready for that instead of being attached to this. That's what he's saying here. He's saying, hey, we need to live in such a way that it impacts the future. That's what wise people do. Lord, help us today. Help us today, God. Please help us. Help us to live in such a way that we keep our eyes on heaven and we don't become too attached to earth and that we know that our citizenship is in heaven and it's not on earth. 
and that we treat others with respect so that ultimately that as families, we make disciples and as husbands, we prepare our brides to be presented before Christ as a radiant bride so that awesome things can happen because of you working through us and that thousands run to Jesus. Ultimately, that's why we're here, God. Help us to live in such a way that our eyes are on heaven. Please, God, because everything we do here impacts there. Help us to be those kinds of followers. In Jesus' name, amen.